You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Bayshore this morning. I'm Pastor Danny. If you're new here, we're so glad you're with us this weekend and so grateful that uh, you're here. And we're excited about Christmas around here and we're looking forward to all the great things that are happening. We have uh, adopted 75 kids in our community that's going to be having a great Christmas. You guys have gone out and really purchased great Christmases for everybody that's a part of, uh, that we're, of our outreach this year. And so many times it's easy to kind of give far away, but there's people right in our own community that need help, and we're so grateful that you guys have really stepped up. Also, we raised money for uh, Tish Pusey. Our goal was Tish is, has MS. Uh, she's a former Miss Delaware and is bedridden and no way to make an income. And our goal was to provide a year uh, mortgage for her, which was, her mortgage is $1,000 a month. And our goal was to raise $12,000 so we can pay her mortgage for a year. Well, I'm here to tell you that we've raised more than that. We've raised $22,452.33. That's incredible. So what that means is, is we're about $1,500 shy of two years mortgage. So this uh, week I'm going to go and visit Tish and we're going to tell her about uh, what the church has done for her and her Christmas present. So if you'd like to still participate, I'd like to be able to say um, th- when I see her, I think it's Thursday, we're going to do the interview to say, hey, Tish, we couldn't do a year. We did two years mortgage for you. So how many think we can do that? All right. Fenwick Island, thank you. Fenwick Island participated. Everybody here at the Millsburg campus participating. We're so grateful for what the Lord is helping us to do to help people this Christmas. So today we're starting a new series called, Sil- or called Christmas Songs, and we're be going, going to be doing one of my favorite songs. And so every week, just for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be doing the different Christmas songs uh, that we are familiar with singing. What is the story behind the songs? And I think there's always a lot of lessons to learn from these great, great songs. And today we're going to do Silent Night, one of my favorite Christmas songs. I grew up uh, in the era of uh, vinyl albums, and we had the Bing Crosby, Crosby album in our house, and uh, he sang Silent Night on it. And every Christmas as a little boy, I remember the vinyls uh, on the stereo, and I remember listening to Bing Crosby sing Silent Night. And that song really impacted me. Now, not only has it impacted me, but it's impacted a whole lot of people. Now, you may not know this, but Silent Night is the most recorded song, the most recorded song in music history. There's no other song that's been recorded more than Silent Night. And here, how about this? Spotify. How many listen to Spotify? Do you have Spotify on your, on your, on your phone? You listen to it in the car? I listen to Spotify all the time. Hardly ever listen to the radio. I'm always on Spotify. Spotify has 26,000 versions of Silent Night. 26,000 versions of Silent Night. That means if you listen to a different version of Silent Night every night on Spotify, it would take you 79 years to listen to all of them. So I don't know if you got that much time, but that's something you can think about. Uh, you know, and it is, uh, you know, it's translated into 300 different languages, and uh, it's just a really, really popular uh, Christmas carol. How many would say Silent Night is your 
favorite Christmas carol? Just raise your hand. Some of you would say that, and some of you have other songs that you like. I asked my grandchildren what their favorite Christmas carol was, and I'll play that for you, as, and you can listen to their answers. Okay. Nora, let me ask you a question about Christmas. Mm -hmm. Tell me what your favorite Christmas carol is. Silent Night, awesome, awesome. Karen, what's your favorite Christmas carol? I was going to say Silent Night, but let's go with um, I'll Be Home for Christmas. I'll Be Home for Christmas. Oh, I know, so I have another one. Wait a minute, don't change your answer. This is a good one. I have another one. Okay, what's your other one? I see Mommy Kitchen Santa Claus. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> you know that one? Uh-huh. Okay, Nixon. What is your favorite Christmas carol? What's a carol? <laughs> so what's a carol? There you go. We got a ways to go on that one. Well, listen, the song is uh, Silent Night uh, is actually, many of you know this, it was, uh, record, it was first created in Austria in 1818. Very first time it was ever sung. And of course, it was not sung in English it was sung in German for the first time because uh, in Austria, of course, they're, they're next door to Germany and they spoke German. And it was composed by a guy by the name of Joseph Moore. Joseph Moore. Joseph Moore. Now, he was born, let's see, what year was he born? He was born in uh, 1792 in Salzburg, Austria. Here's the deal about him. Uh, his, his mom was uh, an embroiderer. And his, he was an illegitimate child. Uh, his father was a mercenary soldier that left the, left the family. Uh, his mother was, uh, was pregnant by this soldier, and the soldier abandoned the family. And he had two other illegitimate uh, siblings. So he grew up in poverty. He was very, very poor. But when he lived in Salzburg, there was a priest at the local uh, Catholic church that had uh, sort of a heart for, for Joseph Moore and uh, provided an education for him, sort of adopted him as a godfather, sent him to school, and at school he loved music, learned to play the violin, and he was so grateful to the Catholic church that he decided that he was going to become a Catholic priest. And so in 1815, he graduated from seminary and became a priest and was ordained a priest. And so he had his first assignment in another little, uh, another little town in, in uh, Austria. And in 1816, 1816 he, he wrote a little poem, six stanza poem, and that was Silent Night. Stuck it in his desk. And then he was transferred to a different church in Oberndorf, uh, Oberndorf, Austria. And there he was the assistant priest of a little church called St. Nicholas. And St. Nicholas, this little parish there, he was assistant priest. His job was to help provide some of the uh, music for the special services and assist the main priest. So in 1818, Christmas is coming. So he's been preparing for the Christmas service, getting the Christmas service ready uh, for months. And this is this little tiny church in this little village, beautiful little village in the Austrian Alps. He's getting ready for Christmas, and he's got all the songs ready. He's got the responsive readings ready. He's got everything all ready. And then in, uh, on Christmas Eve, he's checking out the organ, and he tries to play the organ and the organ won't work 
So what he does is, is he works, he pulls out the stops, works on the pedals, climbs behind the organ, and for hours he works on the organ, trying to get the organ to work, because in just a few hours, people are going to come to Christmas Eve service. And this is the biggest event of the year for this little church, St. Nicholas, in Obendorf, uh, Austria. So he cannot get the organ working. And it's cold. And the theories about why the organ didn't work, some people said it was the, uh, the frigid cold in Austria that made the organ, you know, not work that day. Some people said it was rust. Other people said that a mouse had chewed in the bellows and ruined the organ. So here he is a few hours, and here's what he does. If you read the story about him, and I read a bunch of versions of this story, uh, what he did is uh, this, little, this young 25-year-old priest... He kneels down on his knees in that little, uh, that little parish, St. Nicholas, and he asks God what he's supposed to do. And at that moment, he remembers this poem that he wrote two years earlier. He remembers the poem that he wrote. So he goes to his desk, and he pulls out the poem. He looks at the poem, and he sees that it's very well suited for the Christmas service. But there's no music to it. No music at all. And so he looks at the poem, and so he, he puts on his frock, he puts on his coat, and he walks through the snowy streets of uh, Obendorf, Austria, and he goes to the schoolhouse where his good friend, they were good buddies, uh, Franz Gruber was living above the, the schoolhouse. He knocks on his door, and uh, Franz Gruber opens the door, and this, this guy, Franz Gruber, is a, is a school teacher, village school teacher. He's also the custodian of the church. He cleans the church, and he plays the organ. So he's got these different jobs that he has, and he has a musical background. So Joseph Moore says to Franz Gruber, he says, is there a way that you can write music for this poem? He said, when do you need it by? He said, in about two hours. For Franz Gruber sits down and he writes the music to Silent Night. And it's designed to be played simply with a guitar. The music is so effective and it matches the poem so well. After the song develops and, and spreads across Europe, it's rumored that Beethoven or Bach wrote the music to the song because it's so perfect. But it was really just a simple school teacher in an hour of need that wrote that music. And so, Midnight Mass at St. Nicholas, 1818, uh, Franz, or Joseph uh, Moore and Franz Gruber and a little choir stands up in front of the congregation, that little chapel's filled with people, and for the very first time in history, Silent Night is sung in German, and the people love it. They love it. A few weeks after Christmas, the uh, guy that was repairing the organ came, uh, and uh, Moo Rocker, I think is his name. I may be pronouncing his name wrong. Uh, he comes, and he's fixing the organ, and, and uh, uh, Joseph Moore tells him about the song and sings him the song, and he takes the song. He memorizes the song. He gets the lyrics, and he passes on to all these little village singers that are all through Europe at that time. And these little folk singers, there, there was a, it was a big deal. A lot of families had folk singers that they would travel from town to town and they would make gloves or do other things and they would sing songs because they were gifted musicians. And so they began to sing Silent Night everywhere they went. 
And uh, King William, uh, William, uh, King William the Fourth of Prussia hears the song, loves the song, and he has the National Cathedral sing the song in German. And this song begins to take off. It begins to grow mightily. And it just grows and grows and grows. And it becomes really well known across Europe. Uh, in 1838, it's, it's brought to the United States by uh, a family, the Rainer family, that sings it in New York. And it just takes off. And then in 1935, Ben Crosby you know, records the song. And this song has just become a really, really important song in uh, all of history. So I love this song. It's had incredible power in World War One. I. I don't know if you know World War One. That was 1914 to 1917. 1914 to 1917, the Germans are fighting the uh, Brit- Britons in a certain battlefield during World War One. And on Christmas Eve, on Christmas Eve, the Germans in their trenches and in the dark are singing "Silent Night" in the trenches. And the British had not heard the song or weren't that familiar with the song, and they loved the song. And then we have the famous Christmas truce, Christmas truce, where the Germans come out of their trenches on Christmas Day, and the British come out of their trenches on the Christmas Day, and for three or four days they have peace. Which is interesting because Silent Night was written right after the, uh, the wars of Napoleon. And so up to the time that Silent Night was written, it was a time of chaos in Europe. And when, when Joseph Moore wrote the song about peace and love and grace, uh, it really, really fit the times because people were longing for peace. So Silent Night, Holy Night, all is calm. And how about this round yon version? How many know what round von, von virgin means? Ron, round yon virgin. What does that mean? What does that mean? Uh, you know, does it mean she was kind of big? Well, what that means is, and I had to look it up because I've sung this for years, and I thought, round yon virgin. We always sing that, but, but round yon is really around, around. So silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Around the virgin, mother and child is silence and holiness and peace. So when you think about the song, what kind of lessons can we learn from this great story? What kind of lessons can we learn from the story? Number one lesson we can learn from the story is things happen in life that you cannot control, but God is always in control. Things happen in life that you cannot control. And God is in control of things that you cannot control. And sometimes when things don't work out the way you think they should work out, God has not just another plan, God has a better plan. That's an important lesson in the story. Because sometimes, you know, if you're a planner and you're an organized person, you want things done a certain way, you've got an agenda for your life. Let me tell you something. The longer I live, the more I realize that sometimes my plans are hijacked by uh, situations that I have no control over. And when you think about Joseph Moore in this story, he had Christmas service all planned out, all worked out, and I'm sure he worked hard at it, and he wanted to have this perfect Christmas service. And I don't know what songs he had prepared, I don't know what music he had written, but the songs that he had written and everything that he had ready for Christmas service didn't work out because they were designed for the organ. And even though the plans he had didn't work out and he, things happened that he was not in control of, God was in control. And God just doesn't have a, another plan for your life. God has a better plan for your life. If things 
are not working out the way you think they should work out, maybe a marriage, maybe a job, maybe a situation, maybe a friendship, maybe a certain thing in your life, things haven't worked out. And I, if I asked you to raise your hand now, how many have ever had something that you planned that did not work out? Most of you would raise your hands. But let me tell you something. God does not just have another plan. God has a better plan for you. And when there are ha things happening in your life that you can't control, God is always in control. Now, I know some people, you know, they struggle with that to think that, you know, hey, listen, is there a God really that's sovereign over my life, that God's working in my life? You know, when I think about, you know, that, I think about the book of Ruth, you know, Ruth is this uh, Moabite woman that married this Israelite man, and he died, and everything went wrong, and, and she, like, it looked like, like everything she had planned in life had failed and, and not worked out. She ends up in Israel. She meets another guy by the name of Boaz. They get married, and she becomes the great-grandmother of King David. I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe in the providence of God. I believe that God is in control even when things you can't control seem to hijack your life. And if we had not had a broken organ in Oberndorf, Austria... In 1818, we would not have this great song because, listen, God doesn't have just another plan. God has a better plan. Would you say it with me? God just doesn't have another plan. He has a better plan. So you can go through life, or I can go through life thinking that, listen, we're in control, we're putting all the leverage, things happen, fate happens, there's no real rhyme or reason to things, or you can live your life under the umbrella of God's sovereignty, that he's in control, that he, when we are in situations of things happen that we don't like, he can work in our life, and he can work things out for our good. Now, the sooner you and I accept the fact and the reality that life is made up of things that we can control and things that we cannot control, the better off we will be. Uh, I love the serenity prayer. I've got it in my office. It's on my, uh, my, my little wall there. I look at the serenity prayer. You know, God, you know, uh, you know, help me to accept the things I cannot change and to do something about the things I can change and the wisdom to know the difference. Hey, listen, here's some things you can't change. You cannot change what other people do. You cannot change what other people do. How many of us worry about other people that we want to control? We want to control our adult children. Hey, listen, Elvis has left the building. <laughs> they are gone. Love them. You raised them. You did your best. And then sit back and hope for the best and pray. I, I know I have friends, they worry, 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 worry about their adult children. Listen, I did my job. I'm, I'm free. I set them free, and they're doing good. You know, you can't worry about other people. You can't worry about what other people think of you. Someone said that if you worry about what other th people think of you, other people's opinion becomes your prison. Don't worry about what other people think of you, and the truth is they're probably not even thinking about you. <laughs> you can't do anything about... Mistakes you've made in the past. Mistakes you've made in the past. You have made mistakes. You have messed up. How many are in this house today and you have messed up? You have made some big, dumb things you've done in your life. Just raise your hand. 
And listen, you can't go back. You can't unscramble eggs. You can't fix it. You can't, uh, you can't make it go away. You made that mistake. Own it. Ask the Lord to forgive you. Ask other people to forgive you and move on with your life. That's what the good news of the gospel. I, was, I went hunting yesterday. I, I got a new gun and, um, you know, I, I enjoy getting out in the woods and hunting and I try to donate my meat to the Food for the Hungry. That's a great program Delaware has here. And I was out hunting, got a new gun, and I was all excited. I haven't hunted in years, and I'm sitting in the, in the stand, and it's, uh, deer, it's uh, doe season, and I was hoping to get a nice, beautiful deer. And, and I'm sitting there, and I'm all excited eating my licorice, and the sun is coming up. And the woods comes alive, and I'm cold, but I'm loving it. And I'm sitting there, and it wasn't like an hour, and a, a little deer comes through, and I thought that deer is too, that was like a jackrabbit. That's too little, can't shoot that deer. Then right behind it's a big old, big old doe. And that doe came toward me, and then she, she stood up on her legs, and she put her, hand, her arms up, her legs up, and she had a big target right on her chest. <laughs> and I missed that deer. I missed that deer. <laughs> And all night long, I'm laying in bed thinking, I'm replaying that, replaying that, replaying that, replaying that. What was I thinking, you know? You can replay the mistakes in your life, and you can't ever change those mistakes. But what you can do is you can start right where you are right now. You can ask God to forgive you. You can ask your uh, people that you've hurt to forgive you, and you can move on with your life. You need to forget that which is past and move on in the future. Can you say a big amen? That's the news of the gospel. So there's things in life you cannot change, and there's things that happen. But when you are in a situation where there's things you cannot control, Remember, God is in control always, and he doesn't just have another plan. He has a better plan, and Silent Night teaches us that story. Silent Night teaches us that, uh, that it, takes more, it takes more than just one person to do something great. It takes more than just one person to do something great. And here's what that means. It means that when, when, Franz jo or when uh, Joseph Moore pulled out of his desk the poem, the sixth stanza poem of Silent Night, he recognized that he needed someone else to help him to complete that, to make it beautiful. And great things never happen just through an individual. Great things happen through corroboration of people working together. And so he goes and he goes to his friend and he gives his friend the song and Franz Gruber writes the music to the song. And when you bring the poetry of Joseph Moore to the great music of Franz Gruber, you have this beautiful masterpiece. And when I think about this church, I think about it's not one person, it's not one superstar, it's all of us together doing things together, it's all of us working together, it's the host team, it's the media team, it's the children's directors, it's the student director, it's the music people, aren't you grateful for the music we have here at Bayshore? It's all the wonderful people coming together to do great things, and when you put it all together, you have something beautiful, and the, the poem of Joseph Moore is wonderful, but it's the corroboration, working together, that makes things beautiful. 
It's not just, you know, dad that, you know, in home raising the family and all that, but it's mom and dad in, a, in one of those nuclear families that are rare many times these days. But you put a dad and a mom together, and you get something beautiful that can raise wonderful children. And some of you are in a situation where you're a single parent, and God's grace is on you to do that, and he's given you the help you need to do that. But there's something very special about nuclear families of people that stay together, and you got mom and dad. When I look at our boys and how they've turned out, I think, gosh, you know, a whole lot of it, probably 90% of it's Karen. She was such a great parent. And I, I was like a shooting star. I had moments. <laughs> she was a steady one. So it takes corroboration. I got some hankering for some fudge every night, and I said to, I said to Karen, dropping heavy hints, you know, I'd like to have some fudge. And, uh, and so I was been, I've been campaigning for some fudge. My mom made great fudge. And, you know, we haven't had fudge the last couple of Christmases. And how can you have Christmas without fudge? And uh, so to my surprise the other night when Willow was with us, our granddaughter, Willow made and Karen made some fantasy fudge, fantasy fudge. And uh, this fudge is so good, so good. You put some on your forehead, your, your tongue will beat your brains out trying to get to it. <laughs> it is so good. I'm telling you what, ate a piece last night, wanted some for breakfast, but you got to draw the line somewhere. I'm telling you, maybe that's why I missed that deer. I was on a sugar high. I couldn't see straight. But you know what about fudge? It's all the ingredients that make it great. To make fantasy fudge, this is a recipe I'm giving you today, three cups of sugar. Three cups, three cups of sugar. Is that enough sugar or what? But you know, you just have the sugar and you know, you eat the sugar. That's, yeah, I mean, that's okay. But ooh, that's, that's not any good. It takes uh, one and a half sticks of butter. It takes a bag of chocolate morsels. A jar of marshmallow. You take, and then you, a teaspoon of vanilla, and you just take the vanilla. Ooh, yeah. But you put all that together, and you get something incredible. And when you put all of us together, you put the Fenwick Island campus and all the people there that are serving, you put the Millsboro campus, and you put the Rehoboth campus. And you put the host team of all our campuses, and you put the media people together, and you put everybody together, and everybody's doing what they're called to do. And you got the small group leaders, and they're leading their small groups. And you put all that together, not just one thing, but you put it all together, and you get something beautiful. And so Silent Night teaches us it's just not Joseph Moore, it's Joseph Moore and Franz Gruber, and it's that little choir. And it's the organ master that takes us the, the, the silent night across the, uh, all of Europe, and it just spreads across the world. The last thing that, that this little song teaches us, and the com composition of the song is, it teaches us that when you're in a crisis, you already have what you need. You already have what you need. Now, there's a, a fable and a, a legend about Psalm, uh, Silent Night that's not true. 
And the legend is, is that when Joseph Moore realized the organ wouldn't work, that he sat down and he composed that poem on the fly. But that's not true. We know he wrote that poem in 1816, two years before he needed it in 1818 on Christmas Eve. God gives you what you need even before you know you need it. God gives you what you need even before you know you need it. And he prayed and he remembered that poem and God provided what he needed. And here's the thing, whatever you're going through, you know you're looking, I don't have what I need. I don't have enough this. I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough uh, resources. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough education. I don't have enough this. I don't have enough that. But God has already given you what you need even before you know you need it. If you're going through December some of you go through December, and, you know, December is a wonderful month, but it's a very stressful month. There's a lot to do. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you get a little stressed at, in Christmas and December. Uh, you know, by Christmas Eve, I got a twitch, you know. There's so much to do, you know. And, uh, and so we, we feel that. I was in Israel a number of years ago, and I was uh, with Jack Hayford and the group that was there. And his wife Anna shared uh, at uh, we were in Capernaum, a little well there by the Sea of Galilee, and and about eighty people were gathered around. And Anna Hayford shared. She said, "You know, a couple of years ago we came to Israel, and it had been right, it, we came right before Christmas, and we'd had this all this stuff happening at the church. We had uh, this uh, you know a big Thanksgiving dinner with forty people at our house right before we left the next day to get on the plane." and she listed all this stuff and she said I came to Israel exhausted and she said I, di I didn't even want to be here and there was so much to do and she said she was praying her first night in Israel and the Lord talked to her about the feeding of the 5,000 we weren't very far from where the feeding of the 5,000 took place when she was telling this story and she said the Lord said you have a little bit of strength and the little bit of strength you have, I'm going to supersize it. And I'm going to give you everything you need. You have what you need. Don't fret. Don't worry. You say, you don't know what to do. You're in a situation where you don't know what to do. God's going to give you and give you the understanding of what you need to do. Already you have the answer inside of you. God gives you what you need even before you need it. You, you just take what you have and don't overlook the provision. When I think of Joseph Moore, I think he could have easily overlooked that, that poem. I mean, he could have overlooked it, but it was this little simple thing that was in his desk. And he already had what he needed. And I don't know what that means for you, but, but when you're fretting and you're thinking about, I don't have what it takes to do this, I, don't, I can't do this, you already have what you need. He gives you what you need before you even know that you need it. When I got my Tacoma pickup, uh, you know, I love my little pickup, very grateful for it. I always say, if Jesus was alive on the earth, he'd drive a Tacoma pickup, I'm sure of that. Um, but... When I got the pickup, I haven't had a pickup before in my first pickup, so I didn't know where the spare tire was. And I know a lot of you, everybody knows where the spare tire is on a truck. I didn't know. I thought, isn't this something? They gave me this truck and don't even have a spare tire. 
you know, paid all that money for that to come. Where is the spare tire? Where the spare tire is underneath. And it's not one of those donut spare tires. Somebody told me the other day that has electric car. Electric cars, you don't even get a spare tire. So I guess that's a downside. Electric cars, I, I would like to have one myself. But anyhow, that's, uh, they said, you didn't even have a spare tire. But I've been riding around wondering where my spare tire was. And the spare tire is right under the base of my, of my bed of my truck. It was already there. Say this with me. I already have what I need to do what I need to do. You say, you know, you're going through a breakup or something. You already have what you need. God's going to help you. He's already put it in you. He's already given what you need. When I was growing up, my, my grandparents, uh, my, my, my maternal grandparents, my uh, called him Pop-Pop and my grandma, my mom, uh, they lived across the field from us where I grew up, and they were poor. They had a little farm, 60-acre farm, 60 to 70 acres, something like that. And, um, and they didn't have any money. And in Christmas time, they would make, they would make reefs, uh, real live reefs. The whole front of their little kitchen would be filled with all the stuff to make reefs. And my grandmom and my granddad, they would make reefs for Christmas to make extra money to provide for their Christmas. And I remember walking in that house when I was a little boy, you know, and you could just smell the, 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 the pine leaves and it was just, a, and they would have these wreaths that they would make and it was just sap on their hands really hard. And, but they'd get all those wreaths taken care of and then they didn't have enough money for a Christmas tree. And so every year, and I remember this so well, every year, a few days before Christmas, my granddad would walk out in the woods drag an axe into the, one of the woods on the farm, one of those woods that I was hunting in yesterday, and he would drag that axe and he would find a cedar tree. He would cut that cedar tree down and he would drag it back to that little farmhouse and he would put it in the little, uh, little stand and put water in it. And there's nothing, if you've never had a cedar tree in your house, it's the most fragrant, wonderful smelling Christmas tree you'll ever see, ever smell. And they would decorate it, put icicles on it. And uh, I just remember, you know, those Christmas memories walking in and smelling that tree. The tree was already on the farm before they ever cut it down to bring it to the house. Franz Joseph, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? How am I going to get through? How am I going to make it? And he already had what he needed. God had provided ahead of time what he needed. You know, Joseph and Mary go to, go to Bethlehem, and they go to Bethlehem. They had all their plans. They were going to go to Bethlehem, probably going to stay with some relatives. You know, they had relatives in Bethlehem, and they, they were probably going to stay with some relatives. They get there, the relatives' house is all full. There's no room in the relatives' house, in the guest room. Some people argue that the guest room is the inn. But then they also had these like pole barns in the ancient world. They weren't pole barns made of metal, but these big rooms where poor people would stay. And those were like the ancient inns. And the, that inn was full. And so they end up going to a cave and where they would put the animals. And their plan was to stay with their relatives. Or their plan was to stay in one of those hostels, those one-room hostels all those people. But they ended up in a cave, and when they went to the cave, it says in, the, in Paul's writing, he became poor that we might become rich. 
And every homeless person in Los Angeles, every homeless person in Salisbury, every homeless person living on the street, sleeping in the cold, can relate to a Savior that was born in a stable where he had to shiver and he was in, surrounded by the animal manure and the, and the spider webs hanging from the. He lived in poverty so that we can become rich. Now, if he just went to Bethlehem, Joseph and Mary, and they had the baby at the relative's house, it doesn't have the impact of what the real story was. God had a better plan for Joseph and Mary, and he was working, and he was already ready uh, for what was going to happen. So when you think about Christmas, you think about Silent Night. Every time I sing Silent Night, We'll stand here on Christmas Eve and we'll have our candles lit and that'll probably be the first song we'll sing. We'll sing Silent Night. But when you sing Silent Night in English, I want you to know it's been sung in 300 languages before it got to you. And all these people have sung it over the history. And it's based on a story of a man who had a crisis. And God helped him get through that crisis. And let me just say this to you as I close right now. God is going to help you get through your crisis. God is going to help you get through your crisis. He's already given you what you need. I want you to lift your hands right now, and I want you to let the Holy Spirit just fill you and help you right now. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you are with us, Emmanuel. God is with us. You are sustaining us. You are keeping us. You have your hand on us. You haven't let us alone. You are staying with us. You're helping us when we don't know what to do in our lives. We, you have an answer. You have wisdom. Your word says if any of us lack wisdom to ask you and you'll give it to us, you already have what we need. And we love you and we thank you for your provision. There's people here this morning that came and they needed to hear this message because they feel like they can't make it. There's no way. They're, they're checkmated and there's nowhere to turn. And I'm here to tell you that there, you are not checkmated. You are not in a place where you can't get through this. You can get through this because the Lord is with you and he's already provided for you in the crisis that you're in. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only He can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.